I'm Chief Chris DiGiuseppe from WhatCopsWatch.com, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. S.H.I.E.L.D. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, S.H.I.E.L.D., the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement, and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. Highways are paths that most of us take at some time or another. Whether it be on the way to a daily grind or heading to a vacation in a not-too-far-away land, the road that leads us to our destination is almost always appreciated. But what if the road led you to places that you hadn't thought you'd be going to, or worse yet, you didn't want to go to? Inside this episode, Season 5, Episode 18, All Roads Lead, we are given an immediate follow-up to the previous episode that gives us smooth driving, twisty turns, a few potholes, and even a head-on collision or two. It's time for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. Greetings, everyone. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. I believe your zombie is in my peanut butter. Nick, you've got an outstanding episode of Two Guys Talking Horror coming out. Tell people about it quick. Ah, yes. Talk about terrifying. Our topic show on Two Guys Talking Horror. And this time around, well, we're doing zombies Mm. because they're everywhere. They Mm -hmm. are absolutely everywhere. I know you, Mike, there's some zombie stuff that you like. There's some zombie stuff that you don't. I like it when it gets story heavy. Right. You don't like it when they they puke up blood and bile and gore and stuff like that. Right, right, right. I totally understand. This time around, me and a special guest, uh, Sean Murphy, Mm -hmm. who also has... Another podcast getting ready to debut out there on the interwebs mm-hmm. uh, called My Big Fat Pull List, a uh, comic book related podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he joins me and uh, we, we actually go through zombie sightings in uh, literature, mm-hmm. television, mm-hmm. film, and gaming. And we're not necessarily really talking about the most popular stuff to it. We do talk about The Walking Dead, but we're not talking about The Walking Dead, the TV show. We're mm-hmm. talking about The Walking Dead. You, you, you do know, Mike, that... The Walking Dead was a comic book. Yeah, a graphic novel. Before yeah. it was a TV show. And yeah. I like reminding people mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's what uh, Talk About Terrifying, You've Got Your Zombie in My Peanut Butter yeah, we'll is sure all to, about. Yeah, we'll be sure to link that up inside the show notes for this episode. Remember, you can always go over to twoguystalkinghorror.com and listen to that right now. But you'll find it in the show notes over at agentsofshield.tv as well. We'll also put a link into my big fat poll list, a show that I'd like all of you to go and listen to. Lots and lots of detail. More importantly, there's a whole bunch of schooling going on there with that podcast, so you'll see a little bit of metamorphosis, hopefully, in the next series of weeks during their program. Revisiting Back to the Future. 
Nick, you remember that last week we talked about Thomas F. Wilson, ah, who yes. is Biff Tannen inside of the entire run. King of the butthead. King of the buttheads. That's right. The inventor <laughs> of the word butthead inside of Back to the Future lore. And I went back and I watched that again this last weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just beauty. I, I. It's almost one of those flawless films. It really is. It really is. What I also did was I went back and I listened to the perspective review that my co-host Tony Lavasco and I did of it. Mm-hmm. And we did it, the, the when we did that, we did it during the 25th anniversary, which mm. was a series of years ago, but it all still fits. And w- what we noted, and I continue to note, regardless of what the property is, is that when you have to sit in a restaurant for probably an hour, not just making a listing of the good things, but then digging <laughs> to try and find something that's bad, you really do have a wonder of a, of a feature film product mm. on your hands. And Back to the Future is really is one of those things. If, it would definitely be in my very short listing of if I was stranded on an island somehow with electricity and a screen, I would want access to that film. Right. We're going to link up again to the Back to the Future perspective review, but more importantly, we're going to link up to the Back to the Future 2 perspective review. Ooh. That one's also a ton of fun with a bunch of detail with another great Back to the Future geek that I know all of you will appreciate. Go and check that out right now. You can go over to agentsofshield.tv for the show notes for this episode, or you can just go to twoguystalking.com forward slash back to the future two. Okay, we've traveled enough road here during the banter section of our podcast. It's time to jump straight into this week's review of episode 18 during season five of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. A completely different filming style. I was on the fence when this started throughout the first probably three or four scenes of not liking this. Inside of this episode, which you'll find immediately as we start, it's almost all handheld. And it, it's, it's not, it doesn't give us the Blair Witch action, which is nauseating regardless of how you get it. It's just completely different than what we saw during the last episode. Hmm. And I didn't check the cinematographer. I didn't check the director. I didn't check any of that to see if it was just someone different or a completely different crew or what. I, I didn't go back and look. But I cannot believe that the same team captured the most recent episode and then went and captured this one. It is that different all the way through it. Vast majority of shots are, are handheld shots. Even the ones I know I would have liked to have been static that are incredibly dramatic, especially towards the end of this episode. And I, I, what I wanted to do was just throw out a really quick call to the audience. What do you guys think of this? I, I can't possibly be the only person that recognized this. And so I just want people to chime in, thumbs up or thumbs down, on the clearly different shooting style that was featured inside this episode. I think the reason it was the most jarring is because it's literally the camera turned off in the last episode and the camera turns back on in this episode. And I think that may be why it's so jarring just in general. Hmm. I see for me, I, I noticed that there were a handful of shots mostly revolving around Talbot mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. were handheld. I 
did not notice. I did not notice it through the majority of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Give I guess it a, I need to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, w- without question. I, I always encourage everyone to go back and watch it too, oh, especially yeah. after our review. There's something that we're going to mention or focus on, in particular, the really super duper educational pieces that we lay on people. Mm. That we really do hope you, you'll get some light bulb moments about not only what we're talking about, but of the different styles and, and trends that you see inside of television and feature filmmaking. <laughs> The concept of an armory. I know that everybody thinks that you walk into any armory on planet Earth and featured inside of it is a peg wall filled with handguns lined up one by one by one by one. And it's not. (laughs) (laughs) That's not typically how an armory showcases anything. And it doesn't really matter. You know, it's we're inside of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., inside of one of many now futures inside of a fictional show that's inside the Marvel Cone. So I'm not looking for it to be real. I'm not looking for it to be exactly how it is. I just want people to realize that when they see things like this, this really is fiction. With the exception of walking into maybe a gun range and seeing a rental wall, which, by the way, Nick, did you know you can go and rent guns at a, at a gun range right now? Really? Sure. No, I did not know that. Sure. And it really, it's across the board. It's not just handguns, small and large. It's also long rifles. You can go right now, and as long as you have uh, a valid ID and the money and aren't walking in there with goofy ticks and murderous rage, then you can walk right in there, get your membership, and they will rent any one of those firearms to you. It's, it's very strange, actually that you can just walk in. Now, remember that everybody there is armed. <laughs> mm. So obviously the place to not go and try and rob a place is a gun range. Just FYI, in case anybody was planning that. But yeah, you can go right now and try any one of a number of weapons. Most importantly, because if you want to buy one, well, they want you to buy it there. True. And it can't get cooler than, you know, I would really like to try the most recent Gen 4 Glock. Oh, well, you know what, Mr. Wilkerson? Which of these would you like to try? And they'll point to three or four different iterations that are there, depending on the, either the hand size or the size of the weapon that you want to try. And all you've got to do is buy ammo and, of course, pass the, the, the sniff test of somebody standing in front of you, as well as whether or not you're able to handle the weapon and have a valid ID. And it, it, it's extraordinary because you get to try out the gun you're going to buy instead of buying a gun for between four and $600 that you really don't like. So it, it's it's extraordinary. Anyway, that is where you will see when you walk in. There's a wall that is aligned, not unlike what you see here, where there are handguns, 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 rifles, rifles, rifles. And that you will see inside of a, a modern, especially training range set, for sure. Well, I also think you need to remember that even though the lighthouse has been equipped with more up-to-date technology... It was a product of the 70s. Mm. And maybe mm. a armory did look like that Well said. back in the 70s. Now, you've got modern weapons, of course, because you have your agents getting modern technology, getting modern weaponry, the screens and, and computers and things like that, mm-hmm. all modern mm-hmm. because things had to be updated. Mm-hmm. And you don't have your special super-duper alien robot curator <laughs> taking care of things for you anymore. Right. So. Right. Uh, so for me, seeing Talbot walk into this armory, even though I was like, I was like, wow, I appreciated the simplicity, yeah, of what this armory yeah. was because this is not like this is not your high tech, 
super base. Mm-hmm. This was a base that was kind of forgotten, written off the books. And I, I think that sometimes we forget that the last time people were actually actively in this facility was the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Something else I wanted to just lay on the end here is that the gun that he selects is one that is, it isn't extraordinarily hard to shoot, mm-hmm. but it is, it is extraordinarily detailed to shoot. It's not where you just put it in your hand and pull a trigger. There's actually an impact safety inside of the handle mm. so that you have to grab the handle and squeeze with the back of your hand that will allow you to then pull the trigger and fire around. Interesting. Okay. Very, very interesting. And th- that's something else that I've been watching a variety of videos recently about first-time gun participants. Not that people are against guns, not that people are for guns, but that they know nothing about them and admit that they don't know anything about them. Right. And so they seek someone out that will provide them some fundamental knowledge. And I have to tell you, the light bulb moments that you see inside of some of those videos, pretty freaking extraordinary. Mm. Because a lot of times what will happen is that myths and complete misconceptions about firearms of all kinds, right. not just handguns and not just either uh, shorter rifles or long rifles, but across the board, instantly get dispelled with stuff like that. We'll drop some links inside the show notes for this episode over at agentsofshield.tv. And what I encourage everybody to do, regardless of your lean pro slash not pro firearms, go in there and learn something. Mm. Uh, one of the fundamentals that we have across everything inside of the Two Guys Talking Cone of Information at, at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network is educated Education, people. oh yes, yes. And I guarantee you that there will be at least one light bulb that gets lit, and that's what makes all this worth it. The ching of Ruby's boredom. This is pretty extraordinary. You can see that Fitz is trying to do some detailed work on something that looks not unlike an arc reactor, frankly. Yeah, I thought that the, a little uh, bit. The, the centralized hub and the wire smoking stuff, that was very, very cool. It was very, very cool. It might even have been a tip of the hat. I'd have to put those things side by side just to make sure. But anyway, he's busy doing some detail work, soldering, and he can't quite keep his mental of what he's trying to do here. And the reason is, of course... It's really, really cool because they pull back and they, they, they show Simmons' head kind of jerking off to the jerking off to the left. Right. And next to her is Ruby's wonderful piece of ring technology. And I loved it. I I, I love killer the, frisbee. Yeah. The the amperage of what you see in regard to tension early inside the episode I thought was extraordinary with this. Yeah, this well, I mean it's classic intimidation factor. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm a pro, so I can make sure that I don't kill and or hurt your your girlfriend, your wife. But I'm going to keep reminding you, I could kill her at any time if you don't work faster. Yeah. Yeah. This was extraordinary. And again, that it, it almost lights the fuse for the episode. I, I really enjoyed this. I really hated Ruby during this episode. Yep, I did and, too. And, and you're supposed to. So yeah. kudos, kudos to the writers and kudos to the actress. Deke's Wolverine-like healing powers. Must have been some really good drugs. Really good drugs. For those that aren't familiar, and I hope no one becomes familiar with being as shot as deadly as he got shot inside the most recent episode. Pretty serious. Uh, there is nothing I'm going to then stand up and recover about anything in regard to his injury. And so that he is up and in such a good mood and jovial. For somebody who is not a badass military trained, I've done, you know, I've been shot before. For somebody who isn't like Mac 
or may deke being on his feet and out of sick bay i, I kind of think it's just because we needed to have that that comedy character buzzing around again yeah which i'm I, I, I may i may tip my hat right now early on in the review big ding where this episode is concerned well i'm gonna give where, you the, where I, deke is concerned yeah, i'm gonna give you the big ding now because oh, oh, okay. not, not only do I have a problem with him being, yeah, not only do I have a problem with him being up and around and jovial, I have a problem with him providing the very, very, very thick comedic bounce inside of this. Yeah, the, this is not the sage old insertion of ridiculous bathos moment. This is just comedy where, in my opinion, doesn't belong. There's nothing inside of this episode that it is at all comedic that helps get sprinkled with comedy that then becomes something more satisfying. That's not what this episode is mm. about at all. No. no. Um, fr from everything that we have in connotation inside of this episode, and I think I'll dig more into this as we get into our the, the back end of the review so as to not blow too much. Uh, I, I did not want nor appreciate this, the peppering of the, the shoving down your throat, I must be funny after being shot, slash, this is an incredibly... And I don't even I don't even call it I must be funny. It's the hey, look at me, look how fish out of water I really am. Yeah. Because he wasn't going out of his way to be comical. Yes, there were a bunch of other points. I don't know that I mentioned them inside the skeleton, but hopefully we'll we'll come back to them. The lemons moment is one that I definitely want to talk about right. that I don't remember mentioning. Okay. But uh, those those flavors, thumbs up because yeah. you're absolutely right. It glides back to who he is. The other ones that are clearly inserted for just a some sort of humor humor humoric humorous input i just wasn't a fan yeah the useless bro meeting now while it's titled the useless bro meeting the useless bro meeting i thought was extraordinary this is the three-part pitch back and forth in fact this is exactly what i was just talking about this is the pitch back and forth three-way between colson mac and deke this was excellent. Mm. Where again, they're almost all shot in that 50-50. The difference is that it's 33-33-33 shot. Right, right. And this part is extraordinary inside the episode, mostly because of the connotation and the lemon moments that are peppered on later inside the episode as well. Those worked wonderfully inside this scene, and it really gave Colson a stage to shine inside the episode. This is also what we are used to when it comes to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. humor. Yes, this I agree is, with that. This is something that. that has been a staple in the show that we've come to expect where, they're again, they're not trying to be funny. It just happens to be a humorous right. situation. Right. You've got three guys talking about their feelings about, about women, two of them who have kind of strange strange relationships with the, the, the people that they're involved with, mm -hmm. And Deke, the again, fish out of water, trying to get some advice and perspective. And and it works because Mac's relationship is on the rocks because his girlfriend well, just locked him up and ran away right. on a secret mission. Right. And Colson, well, he knows he's got a woman that loves him. But right now, she, but, but right. right now she's not she's not talking to him right. because uh, I'm but, an idiot. Well, not only that, but attention span and priorities. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that yeah. I, I've been noticing this a whole lot inside of a lot of, especially the premiere on Netflix style programming. This incredibly thick women's push 
to make sure that a woman will take over the screen and or the camera, what's going on inside of the camera. And some of it's good, but some of it is way, way overdone. Especially uh, uh, Netflix's most recent offering, Lost in Space. The front end of that and the women's perspective as it's depicted, man, it is an obstacle course. It is really, really thick. And it's not the way to keep, especially what I think will be a very heavy male demographic involved inside of your program. I mean, like at all. Mm. This, however, is it's just peppered enough so that it's some sort of conflict. Yes. Total thumbs up here where that flavor is given as well as conveyed by Daisy, by May, by anybody else that's inside of the cone of femininity. Yes, absolutely. Right. But it is just conflict. It's not an obstacle course for men to fly over so as to be then dragged along the rest of the story. Mm. That's what's happening in a lot of stuff that's coming out right now. And I, I, I know it's not just because I'm a man. It's because I, it's not fun. It's not fun to have guys raked over coals and look stupid because they're written that way. Right. I think that that's a, as, and like all of them, it's, it's not just a couple of the people that are inside the story. It's okay. So we're going to make all the women know exactly what they're doing and be multi-talented. However, the men, ah, they're idiots. Right. Well, let me, let me explain about that real quick and how it doesn't work. Yeah. The value of minions and hitting the base. This entire scene is exactly what I'm talking about when you want to front face the female demographic, female power, plunging into the base inside of this scene. It's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. This whole thing oh, is extraordinary. Yeah. The short discussion in the run-up to the actual scene, them getting into the pod, and why I mentioned minions is because we've now met, I think, three or four different minions where, you know, it's just, it's Brown and Kowalski and Baski or who, who any, anybody else. It's just some other people that appear that go, yes, ma'am, right away, ma'am, dropping sector 213 and go. And that's all they do. Right. I, I am a total fan of that because it works. It makes the opposing force for the good guys look like they're organized, but that they've got power to do something. It's not them hoping that the communication process between the automated process inside of the Zephyr is going to work with what the hell's going on down below. And I'm really appreciative that they're giving all of those tiny little parts to people that just show up and help out with the effort. I think that that's extraordinarily good. And then, again, the other second part of this point is the whole hitting the base scene. It's spectacular. That was fun. I, I really enjoyed. And, and, again, the graphics, very simple graphics. You don't have to have Death Star exploding in the middle of space yeah. graphics for this. Yeah. It's a simple missile goes, missile blows up the, the, the top of the, the facility, and at Down the right the moment, mm -hmm. the pod inserts itself through the smoke and the fire. And we know, because this is a, the, the, these pods were created to contain inhumans that just developed powers, we know that this pod going to be perfectly fine yeah. going through that smoke and that fire. Yeah. This is one of the most wonderful comic booky moments mm -hmm. that instantly pays off the value of this program because while it is without question this is a comic book thing. Yeah. We're we're not going to see this happen in Riyadh someplace over in Iraq. We're not, we're not going to see this. And so being able to deliver this that is so perfectly executed especially with all the special effects that are used inside of this scene. 
uh, as well as the Mizzle throw it in here too, the subsequent fight. I love that Daisy comes out with arms blazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was expecting her to just like spin in a circle and liquefy, but of course Mike's not going to get his liquefy <laughs> moment. <laughs> but I was also happy that they didn't because of course Catherine Dent's waiting around to to give herself up. Give herself up, right? Yeah. Which uh, brings us to the point of the value and bold move of surrendering. Going counter inside of stories like this, where you'd think it would be, you know, just gnashing of foreheads together. Grr, I'm going to get you. No, I'm going to get you. Grr, no, I'm going to get you. No, I'm going to get you. Where you think it would just be heads bashing together throughout the whole thing. To take this move and just go, I, I surrender. And the reason is because she knows there's no way to stop the process that's in play with Ruby to to not have really, really bad things happen. So understanding all of that, putting aside the platitudes and just going, I surrender. Telling oh, yeah. all your people, put your weapons down, I surrender. I thought that that was an extraordinary move inside this episode. Now, I would have never, when we finished the last episode, I would have never guessed that 18 minutes into this episode, you would see something like a surrender moment from General Hale. Not in a million years. I wouldn't have guessed it, but I'm not surprised by it. Because mm-hmm. from the very beginning... Well, maybe not the very beginning, but after we learned exactly what she wanted to do, yeah, it's not about Hail Hydra. It's not about th- that mission. It's not about goose stepping. It's about we're trying to protect the world mm-hmm. from an alien threat. I want us to work together, but you know, Coulson, you know, you're going to destroy the world, so I can't. I can't work. She couldn't work with him. Mm-hmm. Well, now things are going off the rail. There is no way, and, and this is why Hale is a smart character. She knows that even if her people take on S.H.I.E.L.D., and she could have defeated S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe, who knows. But even if she defeats S.H.I.E.L.D., then she still has to get to the facility where Ruby is. And there's no time. Right. There's no time to defeat S.H.I.E.L.D. and get to the facility in time to save Ruby. Right. So it's, I surrender, because we both want the same thing. We don't want Ruby to be infused with Gravitonium. Let's work together. Lock me up. That's fine. Let's work together, though. And it's a smart move. It's a smart play. Totally smart play. And I think that's when I really appreciate villain writing in that, you know, not that the villain just gives up or the, the whole... The whole context of he wanted to get captured so that he could... it's all part of the plane. <laughs> right, right. We, we don't have anything like that inside of this episode, <laughs> no, thankfully. Not, uh, and, but and, the thing is, is that it, it works. It, it's not part of the plan, but this is a good thing that it's happening right. because now well, we can see, join forces right. and, and double up. And, and it is part of the plan in that, look, there are a variety of things going through my head. And the only way for this to work in the time span that we have, we've got to do it this way. Yeah. That works where it's not some maniacal piece of the plan. It's the it's to make the process more expedient. Mm. I love that. The rage monster that is Yo-Yo. This is extraordinary. I'll put this in the same category as a couple of episodes we had the Rage Monster slash not sure if we're not going to see Rolk moment inside of Talbot's experience. Mm. And this was akin, all of this was akin to that, including really the finale. There's no cloaking that there is rage here right. that she wants to satiate. And it's not just for her. It's also for her other her. Mm-hmm. And I loved every second of this. I, I love, I love any time we can take a what is already a reasonably complex character, 
and turn it even more complex while dot 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 saying nothing mm-hmm. except for some grunts and some some facial expression and really that's it I mean, there's really nothing else that happens here especially that you can see because she's moving so fast right I, I thought that this was extraordinary and yet another layer of the onion that they continue to develop with Yo-Yo as a character inside this series. Uh, way big thumbs up. This season, I would have to say, if there, if I had to pick significant character change, not growth, but change, it goes to Yo-Yo in this season. Mm-hmm. Because we see how she reacts to being in the future, being a quote-unquote slave. Because mm-hmm. remember how, how Mac was surprised of how she was reacting to the situations they were in. Yeah callously just got the other his his right what's his face his right hand man killed mm-hmm. because if he didn't die they were gonna die yeah 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 mm-hmm. and now they come back from the future and she has this knowledge of her future self mm-hmm. and then her future starts becoming her present and more and more and this it's while watching this episode I was like why why is she so Mad? Why is she so angry? Why is she so out of character? And then I had to stop and realize this is the 18th episode of this season, and she's been through a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and then I was like, oh, oh, of course, this is why she's so pissed off. Yeah. Well, more importantly, I think she wants to get in front of the future. The, well, that's the whole reason of of her teaming up with Fitz and Simmons yeah. and and quote unquote betraying Mac. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what I really appreciated about probably the last three episodes is that being willing to try to get in front of what is just a spinning future that they thought that they were just riding the roller coaster rails on. No, you, you really do have the ability to intervene by doing something different. I think that's that I, I, I'm not entirely sure that that's fostered by we are invincible because I'm not, I'm still not a fan of that. I think that's just a, personally speaking, I think that's kind of a, more of an excuse to yeah. give themselves to do what they're doing because mm-hmm. it kind of takes away the fear factor. I can see that. I can it's see like, that. if we believe that we're invincible, we can do this. We, mm-hmm. we know that everything will work out because yeah. we're invincible. Mm-hmm. Because I too don't believe in the whole, we are invincible. No, 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 you're not. Right. You, you, you're you, not you'll invincible. Die just like anybody else. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Destroyer of Worlds graphic. I have screen captured this image that Robin drew because it is solely delicious. Mm. That little crayon drawing of whomever is the Destroyer of Worlds standing on top of the world that is then splitting into pie pie portions. Yes. That's striking. That really is striking. And what what I think I love the most is that somehow, whether they have coddled a seven to nine-year-old to draw pictures of incredibly impactful things or they've kind of had maybe a seven to nine-year-old draw the picture and then they get the art department to go and make one that kind of looks like someone (laughs) that drew it i don't care it doesn't make any difference to me but all of these graphics are incredibly impactful and i again wanted to congratulate the production design team for offering those because they really do play a part in the the we are watching a comic book piece by looking at these drawn images from this seven to nine year old. I, I love that. And the, the imagery that's conveyed here, it's, it's striking. It really is striking. One of well, and I agree with you. I love it too. It's, it's also one of those tragic things because here we are 
were getting a glimpse of these horrible, I mean, horrible images through a child's eye. And to try to understand the psychology of what that child is going through by seeing these things and then trying to draw them. They're simplistic drawings because it's a seven or eight year old. It's, mm-hmm. it's a child that they, they do not know how to paint grand sculptures. Mm-hmm. But if you look at and, and we'll, we'll we'll take the picture that you're talking about the <laughs> crumbs of earth mm-hmm. underneath the mm-hmm. uh, the whoever the destroyer of worlds is, mm-hmm. it's such a simple picture. But now try to imagine little poor, poor poor little robin seeing the real thing inside of her head mm-hmm. now i i don't know about you but that would scare the piss out of me oh yeah and here we go we have this little it, this little girl who has to deal with seeing all these images mm-hmm. it makes the character of robin i know so i know sometimes i've complained about how we've used robin a lot she's been very utilized in this season the pretty much from the very beginning mm-hmm. And I know maybe sometimes I sound I sound like I'm anti Robin. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm anti using her as the Crutch. aha yeah. moment. Yeah. But in this specific episode, wow. Yeah. Just I, I yeah. We're we're going to talk more about Robin here in just a little bit. But uh, th- this really struck me. Uh, all of the images in general. I love. I, I'm 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 a very creative person as well. Mm-hmm. And so being able to look at all those images and then try and use my own piece of inner creativity to try and figure out what she was saying um, i'm reasonably certain in why i took a screen capture of the crumbs of earth moment from robin's perspective is i am absolutely certain when i go back and look i'm going to find little somethings mm. that are inside of that image that she was or the production design staff was trying to convey <laughs> but in in robin written speak right i, I love that uh, again my total tip of the hat to the production design team for making those images you really really do have your game on a powerful stint from Robin. I know. The I know moment for Robin inside of this episode is easily the take the cake moment. Not just for Robin as a character, but Robin as a character that's inside of the arc of this program. The double deep dip that you get from Robin inside of this episode that uh, it doesn't even start here. It starts at the beginning of the episode. Right. Is extraordinary but the the first delicious bite of creamy yummy chocolate chippiness starts right here and it is terribly impactful uh what i also really appreciate about robin's character is that they choose to make her not overly verbal Mm -hmm. you all have either read a comic book or seen a television program where they've inserted a character particularly when it's a child that would do a whole lot more if they just shut up. Yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. if they weren't so verbose or overboard on information dump. And I, I, I think I want to use the second season of Stranger Things as a sample. I know that I got way more out of Eleven inside of the first season when she wasn't yammering. Because she really is that impactful a character and can convey that mm. without saying anything. Now, I realize you can't have a character say nothing throughout the entire season and then have it pay off as big as you want. But this is a great sample of where we have a character that says largely nothing, draws a whole bunch of pictures, but just exists inside of the episode. It's extraordinary. 
It is absolutely extraordinary and why, I again, I lament other programs that can't take the chance on not just blathering with a character when in reality, a whole lot less would be so much more. At only 8% and she flies. So we fast forwarded quite a bit here, mostly because, I, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely glued to the screen between the Robin I Know moment and what was going on here. And I, I, I honestly didn't write notes on the front end of this because I, <laughs> boy, you got to be kidding me. It was awesome. Well, the, remember the, the pacing. The pacing is, oh, it's for this episode is, with, without a, having to say it, but we will say it, the pacing for this episode also top shelf so beyond top shelf and in fact I, I you're absolutely right and you know we will right right here's probably <laughs> the best place to deliver it this episode delivers every single scene with exactly as much time as it needs mm-hmm. yes without question with maybe the exception of if we got rid of the har har deke moments in the beginning of the episode that's it and we're still the, and that's just shaving off seconds seconds really. absolutely yeah, yeah. This the, the this whole back end is just an extraordinary piece of crafted television, and uh, this piece that we're focusing on or trying to focus on here because there's so many things to talk about inside of this whole route too. Eight percent goes in. You have the opening and closing, the joy of being able to eventually receive whatever the gravitonium is going to give her, and then it all goes absolutely to shit. And then the after eight after eight percent opens up, and then you get this whole thing. And my God, she's flying out of the uh, out of the pseudo Captain America tube, really. And and you have no idea what's going to happen. I think that's what I really appreciated about what's going on here. There's nothing that happened inside of the back end of the episode that I could have possibly guessed. Oh, and yeah. those of you that go, ah, I saw it coming a million miles away. You lying sons of bitch. <laughs> you are so lying. There's no way. And so I don't want to hear the feedback. I don't want to see the stuff on the Facebook forum. Oh, I saw it coming. Ah, stupid writing. I saw it coming. Whatever. miles away. No, you didn't. Sure. That is crap. You guys did not see this coming. None of it. Where do you buy your magic eight balls? Right. Nothing. And that's what I really appreciate about this particular episode is that they only got to 8%, dude. They got to 8% and then they open up the corn. They let her, they let it fly. Literally. And uh, the front end is wonderful. At only 8%, and he dies, crunching, squishing, thudding. My God. This was a piece of television slash streaming brilliance. No way. I sat sat up in my chair. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, there is no way. Not zero no way that anybody could have seen this coming. The the love of her life that is the partner that's going to proceed into whatever she's going to become after the, the chrysalis of becoming whatever she's going to be. Crunch, squish, thud, and then this spattering of blood as his head falls. It was so impactful and so quick. It is exactly what this moment needed. And then what happens in regard to Ruby's reaction is so genuine. It, it, it's it's all wonderful. And then you spin in the effects of, oh, that's the other thing. The, the other graphic is obviously a piece of what's going on inside of Ruby, where it looks like the outline of a, of a gingerbread man. And then there's all kinds of different people that are inside the outline of the gingerbread man. 
Do you remember seeing that one? The one of one of Robin's pictures. One of Robin's pictures, yeah. Yes. Well, obviously, I mean it could be someone else, but obviously that is exactly what we see Ruby experience in this entire end sequence where there's just everything spinning in her mind. She has absolutely no idea really what's going on, except that it's all terrible. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinarily done. It really does lend itself to the storytelling. But more importantly, this is that piston ramrodding the episode faster and faster and faster as we get towards the end. It's really, really well done. Getting the kid out of the suicide picture. Suicide is one of the things that's represented pretty terribly inside of modern day television and feature films. There are so many different circumstances and elements that are involved in the actual process of somebody eventually going, you know what? I got to kill myself. And you can't possibly put yourself into someone's head if you're not actually there. And in this case, we got something so incredibly ornate in that Talbot who has now been broken by the enemy has been programmed by the enemy has befriended his friends and now has betrayed all of them in prelude to doing something incredibly bad, i.e. murdering a child. Okay, not so awesome. He's obviously got it piled on. What I really appreciated about this scene is that there's a variety of points why how this is depicted really impresses me, and we'll get to those, but that they they gave Talbot the platform of suicide appropriately and then dealt with it i.e. they're able to get the kid out of the literal sight picture of what would need to be shot at. I really have to tip my hat because a lesser program would have just left the kid in there. That really meant a lot inside of this program. Well, a lesser program would have left the kid there and Talbot would have actually shot himself. Yeah. And would would have killed himself. Yeah. And at that point in time when he actually turned the gun on himself, I was, I started to get annoyed. I'm like, Really? Yeah. This is the route that we have to take? Yeah. The great thing about it is, I keep forgetting, we've got some great writers on the show. Yeah. We get Robin out of the way, Mm -hmm. and Coulson talks him down to where, point the gun at me. Yeah. You don't have to kill yourself. Point your gun at me. Your compliance will be rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. He's using the programming to save Talbot, Mm -hmm. which again, reason why, Phil Coulson one of the greatest characters ever invented for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. He is a true hero. Yeah. He didn't want to see his friend die because he understands how being messed up in the head, he, he knows. Mm-hmm. Personal experience. He had Cree crap in his head. Thank you, Tahiti. <laughs> it's not a magical place. <laughs> so the fact that we get the kid out, great. That smart. Very smart writing. We don't have to, especially, especially after head crunch kill of Strucker. That's graphic. Now, you would think that a show that did something that graphic, oh, no, no big deal. We'll leave the kid in peril. We'll leave the kid in peril. It'll be great. No, we get the kid out of the way. We get our hero talking our other hero down to get the suicide moment out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then we get the great save with... The one time I like icers. Those of you that have listened to our program for any length of time <laughs> will understand Mike Wilkerson's hatred of the night-night you know, gun. night night guns. I, I absolutely hate them, mostly because they foster the conveyance of there being a viable, always available, always works without question option of you can shoot somebody and they fall down and they're not moving and they won't hurt anybody anymore. 
I'm going to make this a tiny little soapbox, if you don't mind. Okay. For those that want to whine about why people don't get tased rather than shot, there's any one of a number of videos that we can link you to over at a variety of different YouTube presences where you can see people that are actively shot with taser and it doesn't work mm -hmm. for whatever reason, whether one of the prongs doesn't go in and so you can't complete the circuit or it, for whatever reason, it does Somebody's not work. Somebody's so jacked up on some sort of substance that they don't feel it. Right, right. and That's the, a scary one. Yeah, the, the, the gist is that I, I don't like it when we're able to see something that is essentially a stun version of what should be reasonably powerful force, except for this one. This one worked wonderfully because, one, we don't have Talbot blowing the top of his head off. Right. It was something I didn't want to see, mostly because I want to see some more character development. He didn't deserve slash need to have the top of his head. He doesn't, he doesn't need to go out like that. No. no, not at all. Again, second, to pile on the kudos to getting rid of the kid out of the whole scenario. That's awesome. The only way it gets cooler is that we all know people can be broken slash reprogrammed of your programming, i.e., thank you, Bucky slash Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, we, we didn't mention it previously, but we may as well hear. The whole tether to compliance and comply, that's just magical. The, again, it's that, that whole concept of it's all connected, connective tissue right. that continues to spiral through everything that is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that is just so delicious. I love all of that stuff. You, you pile on the gravy that is Phil Coulson inside this episode. And it, it really does make impact. So, Soapbox Away. The gist is that we don't get the suicide moment, thumbs up, and we get an icer moment that is really well depicted, too, because I was afraid they were just going to shoot him. Mm -hmm. Because in reality, they probably would have shot him anyway. He, he was pointing the gun at either himself or not at Robin, and Robin was, what, maybe half the size of him? Yeah. So that entire sight picture from the waist up was absolutely clear for a shot mm -hmm. of any kind. True. So... Again, kudos to the writers for writing something compelling, uh, giving some care to the actor of Talbot, but more importantly, I say begrudgingly, for icing Talbot. And here's where I bring out my tiny little soapbox to where I have always felt that the icers, thank God that they changed the name. The Night-Night Gun was pretty stupid. Yes. I get what it started off being. It was, okay, we're this show that's on ABC and a lot of families are going to be watching it, so we can't really be blowing people away. Right. So we need something to where we can effectively take somebody down without killing them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pause, by the way. I was just wondering if you could show, you know, just super curious, maybe Nick Fury in an SUV being pelted by thousands of rounds of live ammunition. Ah. That would be awesome. Yes. Movie. Blah. Television. Blah. Movie. That's tied television. directly to this show. Does, but but here but the thing is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Movie, television. Now, remember, Mike. <laughs> Available since, on Netflix. Since the show has moved to a different night and a different time slot, mm -hmm. the graphic oh, yeah. has increased. Absolutely. We it's have totally seen people up. blown away. Yes, I agree. I agree. So in the early days, I can understand us needing the ISIS. But here's another thing. Sometimes you don't want to have to kill right. somebody. True. Sometimes you don't want to have to hurt somebody. Yes. You have to stop them, but you don't want to stop them permanently. Right. So the ISIR is a great comic book gimmick mm -hmm. that that I love has and has been used sparingly these last few seasons. Mm -hmm. But I, I love the the introduction of that concept because now we can have a pseudo military force mm -hmm. that can take people down yeah. without having a body count. 
And and there goes my I put my my tiny soapbox away. A quick ruby red end to Ruby. And wow. Just another supposition for everyone that wants to tell me, oh, you saw it coming. No, you did not see this coming. Not, no, never, not in a million years. It's something I may have envisioned, not with Ruby, but where someone should just go, okay, yo-yo, go wreck the room. And the door opens and, and it's done. Where she breaks everybody's leg or whatever just by running next to it and, and kicking it quick as she's running through the room. That I can absolutely see. But this end to Ruby from Yo-Yo, a shut up for all of you that say you saw it coming. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Uh, the other thing, too, is that while we'll definitely give praise to the show of not showing blow the, blow the top of head off of Talbot moment, this was grisly. This was some grisly throat slitty here. We, we've talked about throat slitting inside of a variety of different properties that we've seen it happen in. This is one of the most grisly I think I've seen across the board. I actually I'm going to have to I'm going to have to complain a little bit about this this point because yeah Ruby has to be stopped yeah it's Yo-Yo's job because mm-hmm. when she enters the room you know I'm not saying at the beginning of this episode I was like oh yeah Yo-Yo's going to kill Ruby mm-hmm. no right when Yo-Yo entered the room yes I knew she was going to kill Ruby how she was going to kill Ruby I had no I didn't see that coming I, I actually kind of think that uh, I think it would have been a little bit ballsier had the whole head come off. Because mm. let us not I forget, it was. I this is it was. the woman who cut her, her arms, arms off. off. Yeah. So I would have, in my mind, when I saw when I see the slit forming, I'm like, yeah. oh, her head's coming all yeah. the way off. I thought we were going to get the Kurgan moment. Right. I really did. And, I we and get then Kurgan. we didn't. And, and it didn't happen. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. I, I, I guess we've we filled our gruesome quota for the episode <laughs> with Crushy Head Strucker. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, w- I wanted more, but I'll, I'll deal with this. So I'm complaining, but I'm I'm not complaining. I, sure. I don't know. Right. It, I think that goes squarely on the the whole balancing beam of is it going to be decent enough for you or yeah. not? Yeah. And yeah. it absolutely is. Just if, you, if you'd have taken it another notch, it would have been fine, too. You can't have that, that, that mother grieving moment if the head is rolled like five feet away from the right, body. Right, and, and two foot blood spurts from the two right. veins. So, 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 so yeah, uh, the, the real thing about this point, though, is the statement that Yo-Yo makes. Uh, who killed Ruby? Yo-Yo did. No, I didn't. I just saved the world. It's even deeper than that because she essentially goes, yeah, but I saved the I world. I saved the world. I, I, the, the way that that line is delivered is so perfectly written. Because it's not where she stands, arms akimbo, the wind starts starts blowing on the front of her, and her hair starts to wave, and she goes, and I saved the world. And the, the American flag drops, and eagles right. soar, and right. shit like that. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's, it's nothing, of, like, nothing that. like that. Nothing like that. It absolutely was so subtle that, well, it was almost delivered like, I can't believe you guys are complaining about something. I mean, I just saved the world. I love that. I absolutely love that. And... I, I would not have seen that coming. I did not see it coming. And again, for those of you that want to pile on and go, eh, it's not coming. I think, I think actually it'd be more interesting if uh, we call the audience mm. and ask them whether or not they think that did Yo-Yo just straight up murder somebody that could have been saved or did Yo-Yo save the world? Let us know by heading over to our website at Two Guys Talking. No. no. 
No, it's 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 rubyredthroatslitty.com. Oh, head on over to rubyredthroatslitty.com. Rolls off the tongue. It, Easy it, to remember. It, right. Yeah. Sure. Right. <laughs> Go that down. over to agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere on the right hand side. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. This is what happens when I try to do your job. <laughs> All right, well, we've talked so incredibly fast through this. It's another great pacing for another great, greatly paced episode yes. of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's time to take a break, though. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. What comes to mind when you hear the word horror? Is it a book you read in the dead of night that creeped you out? Is it the memories of the monsters you were sure lived under your bed? Is it a film filled with blood and gore, all thanks to a crazed killer? Join me, Nicholas J. Hearn, and my guests as we ask the really terrifying question, What scares you? Only on Two Guys Talking Horror. TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com That's TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com doesn't always come fast, but it's always free. Join Officer Tommy Model and learn more about vital building blocks when it comes to security and law enforcement during the Free Field Training Podcast. FreeFieldTrainingPodcast.com. That's FreeFieldTrainingPodcast.com. The history of hostage and crisis negotiation is filled with action, danger, emotion, and perspective. Be sure to learn more about the history of hostage and crisis negotiation inside Crisis Cops, the evolution of hostage negotiations in America. Order it now at twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. That's twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug. www.podcastbug.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, it's Season 5, Episode 18, 
all roads lead. Every time we come back from break, it's time to open up our shield dossiers. The S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I look at some impactful moments, an actor's portrayal, or something else that tickled our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what have you got? Well, since we did not talk about it during the actual episode, I'm glad to put this shiny nugget into my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier. My S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier this week is all about the ending stinger. General Hale has pretty much just given up the Earth and everything else to these alien invaders because she's lost her daughter. In any other crappy written show, a the loss of a child could be overplayed. And and when I say overplayed, I mean for the dramatic emotion of it. The, the oh, yeah. tears mm-hmm. coming down the the screen. Why, my God, why, why not me? Stuff, stuff like that. What we don't get is that mm-hmm. because General Hale is not that type of a person. Right. All, and you know what? I, I, I kind of believe that in the back of Hale's mind, she always knew Ruby was destined for a bad end. She even says that I always wanted to push you to your. I, I pushed you too hard. I wanted you to be, reach your full potential. Reach full potential. Okay, but the problem is, is that Ruby wasn't wired that way. Mm-hmm. How, whatever was put in the magic stew that created Ruby, there was something in there that just wasn't right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, I I, I feel that even though Hale is mourning her daughter, her giving up. And just allowing the aliens to do whatever they want instead of putting a stop to them kind of fits for the character because oh, yeah. she's there's nothing left. There and, is and the nothing yeah. left and for the story. her. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, do I hope that the character... I mean, we still have a handful of episodes left. Do I hope that the character sees the light and, and puts her, her grieving aside to do what's right for the planet? I, I do. I do, hope for, I do hope for that. Will we see it? I, I don't know. I don't want to see Catherine Dent leave. She's been a great addition to this show. But if this is the last we've seen of General Hale, I'm okay with it. But we could have had more. Oh, and did she did she bamf out of the room on her own? Is that her power? No, no. She every, While everybody was looking at Yo-Yo, they turn around, Hale is gone, and they actually see a bloody handprint on the exit to the door. So they know that she left. Okay. My question is, is how the hell did she get back to her base and then use the, the teleporting awesome device to thing. go to yeah. s- to space? That's the only scratch-my-head moment that I had. I was like, well, who the hell took you back to your base? Yeah. This is a little, a little bit of behind baseball, and we haven't even planned all of this yet. But our Civil War review will be plagued by something very akin to this, which is... So Bucky slash the Winter Soldier is the one that killed King T'Chaka. Right, gotcha. Except he was a thousand miles away. Right. Okay, I guess he could get on a super kick-ass motorcycle and I, I don't know. The, the, the gist, though, is that the timing didn't work out at, like at all. No, in that they... movie it didn't. And that's why by the third act, that's how they actually convinced Tony, oh, wow, I have been a complete ass this entire time. Maybe I should go and see what's going on. Right. Well, that and they also get that 
the the dead body inside the, the hotel that's tied to yeah. the pseudo uh, psychologist Zemo blah. Right. Anyway, the, the, a quick little sneak inside of our eventual perspective review of that film, which I, I it's another one of the ones I can go back to, and every single time I find something new mm. that I either want to revel in or I want to talk to somebody about. That's going to be a, a ph- phenomenal perspective review when we eventually get around to that. That's a that's a fun one. Uh, you had a great dossier entry. Inside my dossier this episode is something we didn't even talk about inside the review mm. as well, but it has definitely got to be The Absorbing Man, a completely left out scene. I think it was because it was so quickly paced through. I'm glad that we came back and we gave a really great nod and then get some some awesome turning into concrete, bashing on concrete moments inside, yeah. of, that, inside of that scene. I love those effects. I, I do too. Love those effects they when have, he transforms. They it's... have mastered the transformative effects as well as the paying it off after it's done. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of this show and the, the level of special effects. Again, to tip my collective hat for special effects back to that storming the base scene. If it didn't pay off appropriately, it would fail hugely. Right. And that scene and this scene and anywhere else where they're using specifically inserted effects the gravitonium scenes are another one the running stuff through a hose that can look really hokey too and it didn't at all the 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 piece of opening the box it looks kind of like they used the previous stuff which i'm okay with yeah, yeah, doesn't matter because right. it looked fine uh, production design again i want to tip my hat to the wonderful it's just a step over stagecraft but looks perfect ness of that final scene with the chamber in it Mm. It's all spectacularly done. The other thing I love too is that as they're as they're chalking the machine up, they they pan camera right as the pieces parts come to life, and then the doors open on the chamber. I I so love it when a television show like this can get its game on with stuff like that because it absolutely helps to propel the pace of the episode. Just a uh, really extraordinary stuff. And again, that the hidden gem of absorbing man inside of this. I'm, I'm I'm hoping we haven't seen the last of him. I don't think we have. Yeah. I don't know when he's going to come back through, but I look very forward to him. One being fixed, the whole screamy voices, blah. That gets old pretty quickly. Right. Finding a fix for that, that would be kind of cool too. As well as figuring out how to extract the personalities out of the Gravitonium so it can be used appropriately. That would be very, very interesting. That's where we ask you guys, what was inside your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier for this episode? Season 5, episode 18, All Roads Lead. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what's inside your dossier. Mr. Rating to the bench. Mr. Rating. The ratings inside of our reviews, regardless of how flawed it is, work thusly. Tens on top of the beach, without question, a glorious ruby red throat slitty moment. Then there's the one, if you had a shot, Talbot blew the top of his head off and the brain splash on the kid. Not so awesome. Everything starts at a seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives, the numbers go down with negatives, and Nick, there are no habsies. Nick, what do you got? I know we talked briefly about it at the beginning of the review where Deeks inserted uh, I'm being comedic for comedic sakes dings are concerned uh that's that's more of a that's more of an afterthought to the fact that he's standing up walking yeah. around yeah. let us not let us not forget he was shot 
in the chest yeah. and was put back together by a mechanic and a tech that was reading from a tablet. Yeah. Okay. Who is missing in this episode, by the way? Well, yes, yes, true. Piper was not in this episode. Shoot out for a sandwich. Piper, give me a sandwich. Now, yes, sir, Mac. Now, how long, how many episodes was Yo-Yo in sickbay after just getting her arms cut off? It's three or four. Then they started putting the arms on? Okay, so so arms choppy off. You stay in sickbay for a long, long time. Shot in the chest, put back together by a mechanic. Oh, you're fine hours later? Yeah. I mean, really, this yeah. is this is hours yeah. story time. It's hours later. Just to get Deke on his feet so he can be a part of things, that's a ding. Him being comedic in some scenes where it just seemed like he was trying to be funny, as opposed to the lemon scene. That him, Mac, and, and Colson, that scene, great. That's what we should always get when we want humor without being humorous mm -hmm. in this show. Mm -hmm. So there's there's two dings. I've got two dings. And then then the mysterious I'm gonna steal a jet and fly back to my base so I can talk to the aliens and give them Earth. There's three dings. I'll give you three dings. Three ding a ding a ding dings. But when you've got a, a, a action packed paste episode where you're on the edge of your seat and you've already got 50 great things stacked up uh, there's there's no getting around it uh, it's a 10 episode My, it doesn't matter that there's dings these dings don't add up to shit <laughs> this is a 10 episode and i am looking forward even though i'm not looking forward to the end of this season i hope that they keep up the pace because it would be a shame for things to drag and slow down now Fizz, fizzle, fizzle, right. I, we shouldn't fizzle out because no. we've only got four episodes left with mm -hmm. this 18 19 20 24 mm -hmm. four episodes left mm -hmm. so yeah again 10 i'm gonna go cross platform real quick to the Ooh. land of dc believe it or not wow okay and for those that have forgotten you remember superman returns correct i i, I do what did you think of that movie you mean superman versus iraq yeah, that's he. He punched a rock. Yes. Yes. He he punched. A I rock. wouldn't have think. I wouldn't have thought of calling it that. But okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's that's when you when you boil the the, the movie Br down to Brian, action. Brian, Brian Singer, right? R yeah. Okay. Brian right. si Brian Singer Brian Singer directed a movie. For those of you that haven't seen it, blah. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Superman Returns. It's essentially an entire homage to Christopher Reeve and it's a continuation of the original Donner films with yeah, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, and definitive up ups and downs inside of that movie without question. But one, when, when, I, when I think of this episode, I think very much of one scene that's inside of that movie. And it's when Superman arrives on a rooftop and is confronted by a guy that's got a minigun that's attached to the top of the roof of a building. Mm -hmm. And the guy turns the minigun on, on Superman. Right. And not surprisingly, exactly what happens you think would happen, which is nothing. Right. Cause bullets be, bounce be, off because Superman. impervious. Right. Now, that being said, what I have to say and what emulates this episode for me is that with the dings that you have and the couple that I included, mm -hmm. all of those dings are exactly the scene you get when they <laughs> zoom into Superman's <laughs> face uh, and you yeah. see the 50 caliber bullet arrive on the lens of Superman's eyeball and it crushes into nothing and falls off. That's exactly what happens inside yeah, this episode. Those, those dings mean nothing. Nothing. Because this is a Superman episode. Yes. They, they they absolutely mean nothing 
except that without question, resounding success inside of this episode, I too give it a 10. That's where we ask you guys, what was your rating for this episode? Season 5, episode 18, All Roads Lead. You can tell us what you thought by going over to our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash shield podcast. Click anywhere inside of one of the threads that's there or start your own and let us know what you thought of this episode. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately, facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. reacts to being in the future being a quote-unquote slave mm-hmm. to uh what's his face chrysanthemum no no the the other guy uh chrysanthemum's brother no no they weren't slaves to chrysanthemum they were oh. they were slaves to mr i wasn't in 1408 i was in identity oh that guy that guy <laughs> steel was it was one name it was one name it was like it wasn't steel. It was striker, striker, striker. Poof. Uh, that guy. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>